let's jump right in this morning. Last week we um, last week we talked about this this question of uh, why do bad things happen to good people. That is a question that gets asked a ton by, by Jesus followers and non-Jesus followers alike. And it has many versions as well. Very similar things like how could a good God allow pain and suffering? And so last week we talked about Jesus you know, on his way to the cross, talking with his followers and telling them, hey, there's bad things going to happen to you. And, and he said, I'm telling you this, you know, so that you realize um, that, that God hasn't abandoned you, that, you know, God, it's not that God doesn't exist or that God's goodness is in question. He says, I'm telling you that bad things are going to happen to people, real people, good people, whoever, to people, people. He says, I'm telling you this in John 16, one, he says, so that you won't abandon your faith. I'm telling you, so you don't drift away from God, because this idea that bad things and pain and suffering in our world, that's, that's one of the, the things that, that hinders, um, unchurched people, non-Jesus followers, from even opening their hearts to God. And maybe that's you this morning. Someone's asked you to watch, and you're, you're here, and you're like, yeah, that's my thing, man. That's why I don't believe in your God. And that's why, I mean, how could there possibly be a, a God who cares about real people when this kind of stuff's allowed to happen? And I love that you're asking that question. You probably have really good reasons why you feel that way. But I'd encourage you this morning to just continue watching, because maybe there's some things that you haven't thought about. And then for the Jesus followers, you know, I know as, as Jesus followers, our hope is that life is going to be, you know, smooth sailing. And then when it isn't, you know, maybe that's what they told you. God's got a plan for your life. It's good. It's better than your plan. You follow him. It's all going to be hunky-dory. And, you know, uh, you see the smiling preachers on TV and they're like, oh, their life's all together. They got their whole lives together. And maybe mine will be too. And, and then you run into pain and suffering and illness and and maybe the, the, the seeds of doubt in your mind, God, do you, do you really care? God, I've prayed, like, do you really care? And that's what Jesus was warning them. And so we want to look at that this morning. My plan today is not really to tell you, hey, this is what you should think. My plan this morning is simply to ask you to think. Would you consider some things about pain and suffering in general that may f- form a, a belief system in your heart and mind that not only solidifies your walk with the Lord, but that gives you opportunities to actually share life and hope and truth with those who wrestle with that question who don't know him yet. You know, the, the, the question assumes a couple of things, which we looked at last week, that, you know, why do bad things, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Kind of that, I, that thought that there's good people on the planet. And we kind of looked at that last week. The assumption is that people are good and that, well, if God's allowing bad things to happen to good people, then somehow he must be bad. And I want to talk about that, that, that first part this morning, is God bad? Because as you read through the the scriptures, through the Old Testament and the New Testament, you keep coming across this thought, this one thing that, that they were convinced of. They were convinced of the truth that God is good all throughout. I mean, here's a number, here's a few references even just to think about. In Genesis 1, it says that God made everything and everything he made, it said, was very good. The psalmist would write, oh Lord, you're good. You're so ready to forgive. You're so full of unfailing love for those who ask your help. In Chronicles, it says, give thanks to the Lord because he's good. That's the reason to give thanks to him because he is good and his love endures forever. Other psalmists wrote, I'm confident that I will see the Lord's good in the land of the living. Some said, taste and see the experience that the Lord is good. And oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. When a person asks Jesus, you know, hey, saying, Jesus, you're good. And he says, you know what? He's, Why do you call me good teacher? He's like, only God is good. He's reminding people that the God's attribute and, and, and that he's the only one that's truly good. 
and everything he does is good. You know, it says he's good to everyone, showers compassion on his creation. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote, you know, that whatever is good and is perfect, that's what's coming down from, from, the, from your heavenly father. You know, it's the, the, things that, the evil things, they're not coming from him. He's good, and, and there's no, nothing ungood in him. Acts 10.38 talks about Jesus, too, about how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. He even points the finger at where oppression uh, finds its roots. And so last week as we were talking about this, this thought, there's this, there's a, you know, a, an unawareness of the goodness of God, even in the lives of Jesus followers. And so that was a question. You know, when we say uh, there's good people, we found last week that we're not really as good as we seem to think we are. Andy Stanley, we had a quote from him that said this, there's a brutal truth or a brutal fact that we cannot ignore, that there's a direct connection between sin and sickness, illness, pain, and suffering, and eventually death, that the connection is with sin, that we get to make choices, but we don't get to choose the consequences. We can decide, yes, I'm going to do this, but we don't get to decide how that's going to affect us or others. And that's not good news. That's not good news for any of us who've made choices we regret. But we learned last week that Jesus has the authority to undo the effects of personal sin. And so our question last week was, in the big pie chart of all the pain and suffering and illness and death in our lives or in the lives of those we care about, could it be possible that some of that pain and suffering and and illness and and death is actually a result of our own choices? Is it possible that some of it has nothing to do with God at all, but that it's, it's a result of our own choices? And as we uh, thought about that question, we went to the next one, which was this. What about the pain and suffering that's not connected to choices? Not connected to the choices we make? Because we all know somebody. I was meeting with somebody this week, and they said, you know, there was a lady that they know, friend of theirs. Like, she never drank. She never smoked. Now she has lung cancer. She doesn't deserve that, she said. How come she, how, how come she got cancer? She doesn't, it wasn't her choices. She doesn't deserve that. You know, where we think about the man who uh, just a few weeks ago was murdered on the news, you know, or on, the, on, on screen by a police officer who was arresting him. And that thought, he didn't deserve that. You know, just this weekend, there was a, a, a crash in Toronto where a man ran a red light and a, a, a woman and her three daughters were all killed as a result. They didn't deserve that. You know, we think about children, children who go through uh, uh, where their parents get divorced, they didn't deserve to go through that. And for those of you as children even watching, maybe you're older already, and you feel like somehow that's your fault, that's not your fault. Your parents' divorce is never your fault. Don't allow the enemy one more second to be telling you those kind of things in your mind. It's not your fault. You know, what about the children that suffer abuse at the hands of people they trust? <laughs> they don't deserve that. And so our mind's like, God, how about that? Yeah, okay, fine. We understand that some, the connection between sin and, and, and personal sin and this, but they, they didn't sin. It wasn't, their, it wasn't their choice. Now, I want to, us to just consider a couple things when we think about that. Consider what we learned last week. When we learned about us and personal sin, we, every individual has been given this incredible gift of choice choice. We get to decide, you know, and it's a gift. Man, that's an incredible gift. It's a gift that gives us the opportunity to experience really good things on the planet. You know, we experience things like love and kindness and goodness and happiness. Those are all actually tied to this thing called choice. Without choice, we really don't have the chance to experience those things. But it's a two-sided coin. That gift also has the opportunity and that it has the possibility of bringing great goodness in our lives, has the ability to, to harm us. That choice can harm us and others around us. 
And so if we've been given that choice, others have as well. The choice to make decisions, and they get to make decisions, and, but they also don't get to decide who that hurts, whether that's them or their family or the people around them. The consequences of their choice are not theirs to choose. You know, there's something in us that wants to blame somebody else when we go through tough stuff. Isn't it true? My kids, I mean, when, when something goes wrong and, and there's trouble, I mean, the fingers get pointed all over the place, back and forth, you know. We, I don't know what it is about blame, but it doesn't actually improve our situation at all, but we just feel a little better, right? Because, man, I'm still in this mess, but at least somebody else is to blame for it. But I wonder about that, that, that propensity to blame. Should we be blaming the giver of the gift for how the gift is used? Does it make sense to say, you know, God must be evil because of how people use his gift? Would we do that in any other way? Think about it, for instance. Somebody purchases a gun, and they use that gun to enter a competition and win a gold medal at the Olympics because they become a sharpshooter. Where someone else takes the same model of gun and uses it to take someone's life. Would we blame Remington? Or would we blame the one whose hands it's in? If somebody takes a car and says, I'm going to go for a countryside cruise, you know, with my, with my family. Or for someone else who decides to take mom and dad's car for a joyride and ends up in a cruiser against their will. Would we blame Ford and say it's because Ford made the car? Well, no, we would never do that. Or any other thing like money if they use it to help or to take advantage of people or using choice to to hurt someone else or to help someone else, would we blame the person who was, who, who was the giver of choice? We wouldn't. We wouldn't do that. And yet in this situation, that's kind of what we're doing. And I, I, there's something in us that's like, yeah, but God, if you're all powerful, why don't you step in and stop? Stop the really bad things. Yeah, we want choice, but God, some of these choices, they, they, they cost so much. You should have stepped in. And maybe we should just walk down that road for a second. You know, when we think about some of the events that happened in history, where would you say, God, you should have stepped in? Think about Hitler and the Holocaust for a minute. You know, 11 million people died. 1.1 million of them were children. Do you think God should have stepped in and said, hey, no, you know, I'm stopping this? Maybe. You know, maybe the, with the Twin Towers where pilots flew into the buildings and 3,000 people died, do you think God should have stopped them from flying into those buildings? What about, you know, the pilot who lost control of his plane and, and crashed and killed 100 people on board? Should God have stepped in and stopped that? You know, what about this man who this week ran a red light and killed a mom and her three daughters? Should God have stopped in and stopped that? Or what about, you know, this man who, was, who died at the hands of a police officer while he was being arrested? Should God have stepped in and, and stopped that? What about the man who abuses his wife or abuses his children? Should, should God have stopped that? You know, what about the man who stole the life savings of a number of seniors? Should God have stepped in and stopped that? What about the one who speeds going 150 and putting all kinds of lives at danger? Should God step in? Well, what if it's only 101? What if it's somebody who stole or somebody who lied or somebody who cheated? And what about if it's our decisions we make? At what point does, should God step in? And drawing that line is pretty difficult. And we come to realize that if there's no choice in our lives, if we don't get to make any choices at all, our lives would be meaningless, robotic existence. No purpose to it. You know, that's God's gift to us. The gift of purpose and meaning and life. But that all comes with this thing called choice wrapped right in. And the way that we as humanity use that gift of choice, should that negatively 
um, impact our view of the giver of that choice? Should it really? You know, there's a direct connection between sin, those choices that we make, the ones that we choose for evil. There's a direct connection between that sin and pain and suffering and illness and death, even among those around us. My question this morning is this, could it be possible that some of the pain and suffering in, in our lives is a result of others choosing to misuse the gift of choice and that it really isn't a, a, a slight at God's goodness at all? Yeah, but Mark, what about the pain and suffering that happens that's not related to anybody's choices? It wasn't, it wasn't the choices of that person or the choices of people around them. What about that kind of stuff? And, and, and there is something else that we can consider. You know, for most of us, we want the punishment to fit the crime. We think that it should be one-to-one, right? If we want good things to happen to good people, we want bad things to, to happen to bad people, and we want things to be fair. We want it to be fair. We want, we're okay. If we're, yeah, okay, fine. If sin results in, that, that, in sickness, illness, pain, suffering, we want that to be level. We want that to be predictable. That's the way Jesus, the people in Jesus' day believed it as well. But he let us in on something else in this next story we want to look at. John chapter 9, it says, as Jesus was walking along, verse 1, he saw a man who had been blind from birth, and he said, Rabbi, or sorry, his disciples said, Rabbi, why was this man born blind? Man, isn't that us? Why, when pain and suffering, we want to know why. Why is that happening? Was it because, and they asked this, they knew there was a tie between sin and illness. And they said, what, was it because of his own sins? And they knew that it wasn't just personal, but it was collateral sin as well. Was it, was it the, the choice um, of his parents' sins? And Jesus says in verse 3, no, it, it, this wasn't because of his sins. This wasn't personal sin that causes blindness. This wasn't his parents' sin. This wasn't collateral sin that caused his blindness. Jesus answered, this actually happened so the power of God could be seen in others. And what he's alluding to the fact and his assumption of the world that, uh, that he was walking in that day was this, that there's an unfair fact that there's a direct connection between sin and suffering. And it's not just personal. It's not just collateral. It's global. It's global. That if you live here, <laughs> sin affects you. It affects you simply because you live on this planet. They didn't understand the global connection, and many today don't either. They, they disconnect, as Jesus followers, even disconnecting from the fact that there is sin governing the world, that it's not, you know, God's sovereignty or God trying to teach people something or whatever, but that this thing called sin that has a direct connection to pain and suffering is at work, and it's not fair, and it's not fun when, when things bad things happen to people, and it was no choice of their own. It's simply because of this thing called sin on the planet. It's not the end of the story, though, and here's what's the good news. John chapter 9, he carries on in verse 4. He says, so they're asking Jesus, you know, why did it happen to this guy? Why is he blind? Jesus says, we must quickly carry out the tasks that are assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night's coming and when no one can work, he says, but while I'm here in the world, I'm the light of the world. And they're like, huh? What does that mean? And he's like, fellas, fellas, there's darkness on the planet. If you haven't realized it, blindness, sickness, pain, suffering, it's all the result of this darkness. He says, but I'm the light of the world. Like when I'm here, that stuff doesn't doesn't have the same power that it does when I'm not. And he says, listen, we need to be, we need to be thinking about this. And then he, he proves to them in that moment that he has the authority, not just over personal sin or over collateral sin, but he has the power and authority to undo the effects of global sin. It's why he came to the planet. It's an incredibly good news for us. How does he prove that? Well, he proves it by healing the man, the man who was born blind as a result of sin on the planet. Jesus just undoes it. And he's no longer 
blind. I think, man, that is such an incredible, incredible thought. And man, it affects, if all of us are affected by sin, then all of us have the opportunity to be affected by this as well. You know, as I think about the, uh, the effects of sin and how this man could now see, my hope this morning is that we would be able to see. You know, Paul explained this truth to the Romans, that they might understand it as well. In Romans 5, he said this. He says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Sin entered the world and Adam's sin brought death. It was like sin held the door and in came sickness, in came pain, in came suffering and in came death. And they just had one big evil house party and they have not stopped. He says, that's what happened. It says death spread to everyone. Verse 17, for the sin of this one man, Adam, it caused death to rule or caused death to reign. That death is, death and the sin and death, the law of sin and death is actually what's reigning on the planet right now. But even greater, it's God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it, who receive his grace, who receive his righteousness, who join his kingdom, who come under his rule. It says they'll live in triumph for they'll reign over sin, over death through this man, Jesus Christ. You know, could it be, could it be possible that some of the pain and suffering in our lives and the ones around us is the direct result of just sin being on the planet? That it's not the goodness of God that's in jeopardy at all? You know, the harsh fact and reality is that we are all sinners. There's personal sin. We are all surrounded by other people who, um, who sin and, and that affects those around us. And we live simply on a planet that's, that's just been ruled by sin and that there's a direct connection between sin and the suffering and pain and death that we experience. But could it be possible that that wasn't God's plan at all? That his plan when he created it was that it would be good? What if his plan was that people would use the gift of choice for good like he does? You know, C.S. Lewis said it this way. He says, you make a thing voluntary, meaning, you know, you, you make it voluntary that people can choose good or evil. He says, then half the people don't do it. He says, that's not what you willed. That's not what you desired. He says, but, what but it's what your will has made possible. You know, some people are like, oh, it's all God's will that all this stuff is happening. That's not what he willed. He didn't will for anything evil to happen. His will was that it would be good. But you make something voluntary. And because of that, this, this flipped side of it can happen. But could it be possible that the planet was created good and now it's broken? And we know that it's broken because there's something in us that knows it shouldn't be this way. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, the earth is under enemy occupation. This is not how it was designed to be. And he wrote this during the time of the World War. And they understood, man, enemy occupation. This is not how it's supposed to be. There's evil at work in our planet. And he says, it's what's happened. Evil's been at work. But he says, but the residents, they've joined the rebellion. And they've said, you know what? We're, gonna, we're, gonna be, we're going to um, be at odds with the God of the, and the goodness of God through our own choices. You know, the residents, it says, have been born into slavery. And they're, 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 they're kept in slavery awaiting freedom. Think about those kind of things and realize, yeah, that a lot of the pain and suffering in our lives is a result of all of this. So what about the goodness of God then? What about the goodness of God? Are we convinced of that? Well, here's a few things I'd like for you to consider. You know, we have an inner desire in us that things would be fair and just and right. We, we want it to be. We want those who've hurt us to pay for that. Those who've brought um, suffering and pain into our lives or into the other lives of others. I mean, there's uproar all over the world for this thing called justice. We want the perpetrators to pay for what they've done. We want, you know, when we want them to stand before a judge, we want that judge to be good. 
You know, for those who think, oh, when, you know, if God's going to judge the world or, or whatever that thought, it brings this evil connotation to it. But think about it for a minute. Don't we, when we want someone to stand for a judge for the crimes they've committed, don't we hope that that judge is going to be a good judge? That that judge would say, you know, he, he would say, yes, this, this person's guilty. They deserve to go to do time. They, the, the full, you know, life in prison for what they've done to somebody else. That's our hope. We, we don't hope that, you know, they get in there and like, yeah, this man, you know, he killed so many people. He did all these kind of things. And the judge is like, you know, he, he looks like he's sorry. So we're just going to let him go. Nobody would say that that judge was good because our expectation of a good judge is that he would do rightly, that he would do justly. But in the same breath, if we find ourselves in the accused seat, we don't want the judge to be that good. We want him to show mercy to us. We don't want to be the ones that are judged that harshly for the things that, that we've done. So how does God handle all of that? A couple of years ago, I was at a leadership conference and this guy was telling the story about the business he was running. And I, whether it was his story or someone else's, he just told it this way. He said, you have to wear a lot of hats in life. And he says, as, as I was uh, in this business, he said, I hired my son and he came to work for us and he was just terrible. He says, like, he didn't get along with the other employees. He couldn't do the jobs that we had asked him to. He was losing the company money. Everyone's looking at me and I know what I got to do. And he says, so I put on my boss hat and he says, I called my son into the office and he said, son, sorry, but you're fired. And he says, and then he says, I saw the dejected look on my son's face. And he says, so I took off my boss hat. He says, I put on my dad hat. And I said, son, hey, I just heard you recently lost your job. Hey, why don't we go out for coffee and talk about what your future might look like? I thought, man, it's, I can almost picture that happening for us. That in the courtroom, the courtroom of life, where the, the good judge sits there with us in the accused booth. And he looks at the choices we've made, the things we call sin. And he looks at them and says, you know, guilty, guilty, guilty. Of all of these things you've committed, guilty. And I'm sorry, but the punishment, I have no choice. But my goodness compels me that the, that the punishment for this type of sin is, is a death sentence. Before he can say, bailiff, take him away before he can slam the gavel down. His punishment, his justice, his goodness says guilty. Then he gets off the judge's booth, takes off the robe, walks down to the accused booth where you and I are sitting and says, bailiff, remove the handcuffs, put them on me, and bailiff, take me away. And we can't even fathom something like that ever actually happening in real life. But what would you say about that judge? What would be in the news that's written about that judge? Good judge, amazingly good judge. It wouldn't even be. It'd be like good, good, great, incredible person. Who is this person who would do something like this? That's what happened to us. That's what happened to us. As we close, you know, we see Romans. Paul writes it in Romans 5 that Adam's one sin brought condemnation. The justice gaveled down on us for everyone. But Christ, one act of righteousness, that one act of taking my cross, taking my judgment, taking our punishment for our sin. He didn't just wipe it away and say, yeah, yeah, we'll just forget about it. He actually took the punishment we deserved. He said, that's what brings a right relationship with, with God and new life for everyone. One person disobeyed, they said, and many became sinners. That one man, Adam, allowed it to spread to us. But because one person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. That many could be you this morning. What's involved? Well, it's that little gift that we talked about at the beginning. Choice. Choice. Jesus went to a cross so that he could give you the choice 
to opt out of living in this law of sin that leads to death. That lifestyle that just continually sees death happening in, in relationships and seeing pain and suffering just brought into your life by the choices you make. Sometimes it's delayed, but it's coming. He says, I'll give you the chance to opt out of that and come and live under a different rule, a different reign to allow Jesus to be Lord of your life, to put your trust in him. That it's not about what I do or what I've done, but God, what you've done for me. And he says, you know what you enter? You enter a spot where the, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus sets you free. And you get to live in that for the rest of your life here and for eternity. Does it mean there's not going to be any pain and sorrow and sickness and suffering in our lives here? No, it doesn't mean that at all. What it means is that we have a confident hope that we will one day live eternally in a world without it. And that while we face it, we will not be alone in it, but we'll be carried through it. We got to hold these two truths in tension. The truth that, yeah, there's pain and suffering on this planet. And the other truth is that God is still good. That has not changed at all. John, Jesus' follower, he uh, wrote this, a vision of what he had of heaven. He wrote in Revelation 21, he says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He's going to live with them and they'll be his people. God himself will be with them. In verse four, it describes, he says, he's going to wipe every tear from our eyes. There'll be no more death. There's no more sorrow. There's no more crying. There's no more pain. All of these things are gone forever. You know, can you imagine a place like that? Can you dream of a place where it would be better than this, where there's no more pain and suffering? You know, C.S. Lewis said it this way, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, basically saying if I can dream of a world where pain and illness and suffering and death don't exist, he says the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And if you have that on the inside of you, you were made for another world, not just to live this one and that that would be it. Jesus is asking you this morning, will you choose him? Will you choose him? You know, I want to leave a couple quick thoughts with the Jesus followers watching this morning. Because there's two other real quick thoughts that I have for you and for me. As Jesus followers, there's two other spots where pain and suffering may enter our life. And I think that we need to consider. One is this, that it could be the discipline of the Lord. I say the discipline of the Lord in Hebrews 12, it actually talks about this, talks about fathers in verse 10. It says, those fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. It seems painful, but later on it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. You know, I was asking last night, how many of you, you know, are, are, young, are old enough to remember getting a spanking? I mean, back in the day, I mean, man, I took my dad's vehicle when I was 15. Boy, did I get a spanking. I mean, he took me over his knee at 15. <laughs> uh, that was kind of embarrassing, and it was very uncomfortable, and it was painful. And, and you know, But I look back, and I think, you know, of all the times, you know, when I disrespected my mom, and, and uh, there, was, there was that punishment. That was, it dis, but it, was, it wasn't punishment in, like, that, that retributory thing, but it was training. It was uncomfortable in that moment. But I know now that it was because of their love for me. They said, I don't, we don't want to watch our son walk this way. See, you know, if you're a teenager watching and your parents actually discipline you, man, you should be so thankful for them because they truly love you. They truly love you. You know, it's that discipline. It's what good parents do. And maybe, you know, I'd encourage you sometimes if you're feeling there's pain and suffering in your life, just simply just ask, is this, is this, is this God's teaching me something? And let me just say it this way. God's never going to use sickness to teach you something. It's out of his nature and out of his character. But he'll use painful things sometimes. You know, your pride might hurt. 
You know, there are going to be certain things. Uh, and, and he's not the teacher that says, oh, I'm going I'm to teach them something and hope they figure it out. You'll know what he's teaching you. His voice will be telling you, this is what, this is what I'm telling you to avoid. This is the pain that comes as a result of this. And so the discipline of the Lord may bring some. And the third, the final thing is this, the purposes of God may sometimes bring pain and suffering into, into your life, that God's good purposes sometimes involve some pain and suffering uh, on this planet. We think about it, we think about Jesus hanging on a cross, endured incredible pain and suffering by choice, simply because it was for the purposes uh, and it was necessary for our good. When I read Isaiah 53 and it says that God, it pleased God to crush him. Thinking, man, how is that possible? And yet, you know, Jesus endured the temporary pain and suffering of the cross, knowing the reward that it would restore me and you to him. It was worth the cost for him. You know, Peter in the garden tried to stop Jesus and say, no, you're not going to do this. What did Jesus say to him? Peter, am I, <laughs> are you going to stop me from taking the cup of suffering that my father has given me? You know, that, that mission that Jesus is on, and calling Jesus followers too may sometimes involve some suffering. Paul wrote to the Romans. He said this now in Romans eight seventeen: If we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, the sufferings of the mission. You know, all over the world, people are being persecuted simply because they're following Jesus. They're going through pain and torture because they're Jesus followers. <laughs> you know, saying, oh no, it's God's goodness in jeopardy. It's God's goodness in jeopardy. Paul says this in verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings, those kind of sufferings, are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. Can I just simply say that God's purposes and his goodness will never be at odds with one another? His goodness and his purposes will never be at odds with one another. No matter what the pain and suffering, it will never, it will never change the goodness of God. That is, a, that is a, an immutable fact. And so this morning as we just close, it's his goodness that has the authority to undo the effects of personal and global sin in our lives. It's his goodness that led him to take our place on a cross. It's his goodness that leads us to repentance, to change our minds about the way we think. It's his purposes that are good and that, and that whatever we suffer, whatever we suffer will result in incredible glory. There's no comparison for our future. And that is discipline in our lives as a father. It's good. Why? Because he's a good, good God and he's a good, good father. Are you convinced of that this morning? My hope is that you are. And as we kind of finish today, there's a song we sing around here called Good, Good Father. And I'd encourage you to just consider that. Maybe today as you watch it, you're just simply just going to watch and allow those words to remind you of his goodness. Or maybe for you, you just can't help but shout them out. Man, (laughs) you are good. Either way, Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that you touch our hearts, that we would be convinced of your goodness in this, in this world full of brokenness, that we actually may offer that good news to others around us, that they may experience your goodness as well. Love you, Father. Thanks for loving us. It's in your name I pray. Amen.